to say when they were requiring truth, I adjure you that you tell me this. And they were saying, you know, by the law of God, by the presence of God, it was a very strong statement. I expect you to give me the truth. Well, the problem here is Jewish law did not require men to testify against himself. Roman law sure didn't. And who knows how many people in the United States have pled the Fifth Amendment where we're not uh, required to incriminate ourselves. But that's what the, the high priest was doing. And he was telling him, I adjure you by the power of God, by who I am and by this, this holy body that, that's been constituted to enforce the law of God. I demand, I require of you that you testify. And of course, Jesus didn't have to, but he did. Look what he said. Jesus said unto him, thou hast said. In other words, yes, that's truth. Nevertheless, I say unto you, hereafter ye shall see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. Here's the scene. Jesus has probably got his hands tied maybe behind his back, maybe in front of him. He's standing. All the Sanhedrin is all seated, and they're pushing him, and you know they've done different things. They've hit him and all kinds of stuff going on and asking him questions he doesn't answer. And finally, when he does... He said, yeah, you've said the truth, and I want you to know the next time you see me, I'm going to be sitting, not you. That's what the text said. Jesus said, hereafter shall ye see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power. See, these priests had been sitting there questioning him because of their position, and he was saying, things will be turned over when I come back. Now, the method of questioning was against both Jewish and Roman law. Secondly, over in John chapter number 18, where we were reading, John chapter number 18, verse 28, Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. Now, they had to wait for Pilate to wake up. Uh, they couldn't go over there and wake him up. He was a Roman uh, representative, and he didn't have to answer to them, although he was a weak ruler. Uh, and he just gave in to them about many things. But they had to wait for him what they would think would be a uh, reasonable hour to be up and moving around. You know, if you want to uh, contact somebody, you usually wait till at least 8 o'clock instead of calling them at 6.15 or something like that. Uh, I got a message from my grandson the other night. What was it? 4.15 in the morning. And uh, fortunately, my phone, if you text me in the night, I won't know it. I've got that turned off. But if you call me, I'll answer 24-7. Uh, but he sent me a text, so I didn't get it till the next morning. But my question to him is, what are you doing up that time? And I couldn't sleep, you know. And here they, Jesus is dragged before them. And it, they had to wait for Pilate to get up and get moving around. And then notice what it said. They went not in themselves into the judgment hall, lest they should be defiled. Now, for, uh, for Jewish people, remember, they, they didn't want to miss out on the feast. They were all about the show, so they had to be there for the feast so people could see them. But at that time, Jews were taught to go to extreme lengths to avoid having any kind of contact at all with Gentiles. You remember the problem that was with Paul and Peter in the book of Galatians? 
when some folks came down from Jerusalem and Peter separated from the Jewish people, uh, the Jewish people from the, the Gentiles. And Paul uh, chewed him out, I guess, in a nice Christian short of, sort of way. But that's what they were taught. Don't have any contact with Gentiles. Don't touch them. They can come into your house, but they can't stay. They couldn't spend the night. You didn't allow that. You couldn't let them move in. You can't go into their house at all. That's Jews wouldn't go into a Gentile home. So they didn't want to go into this uh, Pilate's judgment hall lest they be defiled, contaminated in some way. Well, these are the same Jews who'd been there when they illegally arrested Christ. The man, when it talks about the, the group of soldiers that came with uh, Judas, one of them, the particular word they used to talk about this leader was probably a man that had a thousand people under his command. And they usually divided them into two groups. So they probably came after Jesus, an unarmed man with 500 soldiers when they came uh, to get him. So they didn't have any trouble with that. Didn't bother them at all. They could, they could plot and plan and conspire, but don't let me get defiled by going into Pilate's judgment hall. They had close contact with Roman soldiers that night. They had to transfer him, you know, at some point. There had to be some other things going on. So they were around some, some Roman soldiers. These same Jews were plotting and planning what they knew was the murder, from their perspective, of Jesus. But don't let me go through that door, lest I be contaminated, lest I not be able to salve my conscience enough for me to participate in the Passover feast. Well, chapter 19. Look at verse 31. The Jews, therefore, because it was the preparation that the body should not remain upon the cross on the Sabbath day, for that Sabbath day was an high day, besought Pilate that their legs might be broken. These are pretty crude people. What's the problem with them staying on the cross, just letting them die as naturally as they can on the cross? Well, we got a special day tomorrow, and we really don't want those bodies on the trees hanging out there. So if you don't mind, just break their legs. Now, they were, the Romans were known to do that anyway to speed up their death. But here's what happens when you're in, in biblical crucifixion, nails in the hands, prints, Nails in the feet. You maybe had some supporting ropes to make sure you can slide off of something. And so you would sag down because of the pain in your feet. And then you would have to push up to be able to get a breath. And then you'd sag back down. Well, when your legs are broken, you couldn't push up to get a breath. So what they were saying is, Pilate, we want you to suffocate these men to death. That's a pretty tough way to go. There you are hanging on a cross. You're already in agonizing pain. They come with a big iron bar and break your shins so that you can't push up anymore. Oh, but if we don't do this, our holy day won't be special like it's supposed to be. And it, it will defile that. They had no concern for their actions at all. Let me give you a text of Scripture in the book of 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter number 4. 
Now the Spirit speaketh expressly that in the latter days some shall depart from the faith, giving heed to seducing spirits and doctrines of devils, speaking lies and hypocrisy, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. I think these guys' conscience was pretty well seared. We don't want to go in that room, go in that judgment hall. We won't be able to eat with, with all our buddies. We don't want to see these guys up there on those cross. I mean, they, they didn't care about those men. They cared not that much about them. They just didn't want to be presented with that. Just break their legs. That's hypocrisy, folks. That is hypocrisy on display, if I've ever seen it. Only concerned about the ceremonial, not concerned about the heart at all. No concern that they were condemning whom they knew to be an innocent man. They knew it. They knew he hadn't done anything wrong. They just hated him because he drew people to him, and the common people hurt him. If you'll, and I'm sure you have as you go through the Gospels, Maybe sometime get you a notepad, and every time Jesus healed somebody, just make a note of the text. And you'll find eventually where they, Jesus will be in a town, and it said they brought all that were sick, all that were possessed, all that had problems. And then the Bible said, and he healed them, A-double-L. He healed them all. Jesus was at least popular for that. And these people are jealous and being, I think, lost. They certainly were not believers. They just saw him as a challenge to their position. Isn't that what uh, one of them said? Said, you know, it's, it's good for one man to die that the, in, instead of the whole nation. Hypocrisy. Well, we know what hypocrisy is here in the Bible. We've seen it. Their actions are obviously wrong. Driven by religious rules of their own making, the Jews justified their conspiracy against Christ. They figured out some way to explain to themselves and amongst themselves that would make it palatable to cry crucify him and give us Barabbas. Blind to their sins and their heart corruption, they felt no conviction at all. Look over Matthew chapter 27. Matthew chapter 27 and verse 62. Matthew 27 and verse 62. Now, the next day that followed the day of the preparation, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. They knew what Jesus had preached. Don't let, it, don't let anybody ever tell you that the Jews did not understand what Jesus was saying. They tried to stone him. Why? Because you've made yourself to be God. So here... He said, or they said, we knew that he claimed that he's going to rise again. Command, command, therefore, the sepulcher be made sure unto the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away and say unto the people, he's risen from the dead. So the last era shall be worse than the first. They admitted what they did was wrong. But it didn't bother them. It didn't bother them. For the sake of time, we won't go through the book of Acts, but I'll give you just one. Look at Acts chapter 4. How that they persecuted the apostles and the early church. Remember, they commissioned Paul to go up to Damascus. That wasn't even in Israel. That's in Syria. Go up there and everybody you find that's a Jew claiming to believe in this Jesus, put them in jail, kill them, do whatever you want to. 
Acts chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled, and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. I love that text of Scripture. And beholding the man that was healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go outside of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. They knew what they were doing. They were just being hypocrites. That's what hypocrites do. We, get, we have the advantage of the Holy Ghost giving us the inner workings of how they conspired together. The people didn't know all this stuff that we're talking about now. They might have guessed at some of it. But the, the average Jewish person didn't know that they discussed things this way. Well, what does all that mean to us, preacher? We've seen their hypocrisy. We see their actions are obviously wrong. What does that mean? Well, it means that you and I need to be careful about being a hypocrite. What is a hypocrite? In the Greek theater, it was one who put on a mask to portray themselves as someone else. And so they'd put on a mask and they could be, you know, whoever, Ahmed, put on another one and be Joe. And so they, they, they presented themselves to be something they're not. Sometimes Christians do that. Not always on purpose. And I'm gonna, I'll try to deal with that in just a minute. But there are people who are hypocrites who are unbelievers who want to act like believers. Why? The only thing I can say is the devil sowing the tares amongst the, the wheat who want to act like a believer, but when that mask is off, they, they're, they're not an ounce of godliness in them. So how does it affect me and you? I, I really want to go there. This is Wednesday night, and, and uh, I believe most folk come on Wednesday night are dedicated people and saved, washed in the blood of the Lamb, but we're still not perfect people. So what is the crux of the matter? Well, how do we justify our lack of faithfulness to Christ? What answers do you give yourself when you recognize you hadn't passed out a track in a couple of weeks? And it's not because you hadn't been anywhere, because we go places all the time. How do we justify that? Well, you know, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have took it anyway. They'd have thrown it away. It might, I don't care if they throw them away. I'm going to leave them out anyway. How many of y'all pay your bills by mail and check? Anybody? Anybody? <laughs> got one. Got a couple there. Stick a track in there. Especially if it says free postage. They'll pay for God to send them a track. But how do we justify our lack of faithfulness? Now, Wednesday night, you're, if you're here on Wednesday night, you're, you're probably here Sunday morning, Sunday night, Sunday school as well. But if we're not careful, we'll figure out ways to justify our lack of being faithful to God. We'll find some way to figure it out. Secondly, do we excuse our sins as, quote-unquote, not that bad? I am absolutely convinced and I, that we have no idea how bad sin is. Dr. Seitler preached a sermon many, many years ago. He's been dead since 1995 called Calvary, the Sinner's Hell in Review. 
And he said, what Christ suffered on that cross is what you and I deserved. And he, you know, he went through some of the things that happened to Jesus. You and I deserve that condemnation. You say, why? Because we're sinners. He said, well, I, you know, it's not that bad. I've never killed anybody. I never robbed anybody. I, you know, I'm trying to tell you sin's worse than we can ever imagine. Go, go all the way back to Genesis 3. They have one rule. Just one. Don't eat of that tree. You can eat of any tree you want to. And I'm sure there were plenty of other trees there. The tree of life was there. Uh, they had not eaten of it. I don't know if they knew the names of the trees other than that one particular one. Perhaps they knew the name of all of them. Can you imagine fresh mango, guava? Oh, man, nice, juicy apples with no sin involved in them. They'd be perfect apples. Honey crisps, great, day in the morning. Just per everything perfect. One rule, don't eat that tree. Don't eat, don't eat that fruit. We couldn't keep one rule. Look where we are now six, 7,000 years later. We're trying to figure out what is good. We preach to young folks and teach them all the time about separation from the world. Why? Because they're having a hard time figuring out what's right and what's wrong. And so do we. We're, we got to draw some lines about some things. So do we find a way to minimize our sins? It's not that bad. Nobody else will know. That's some sins that go on up here. God knows. The Lord knows when we do. No one else knows. <laughs> Aren't we supposed to love God with all our mind? You know, thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy mind, all thy soul, all thy strength, and thy body. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. When we think about sin, we're being unfaithful to God. Somebody said, you can't prevent thoughts. Well, you may not be able to, pre be able to prevent them, but you can head some of them off by teaching yourself and disciplining yourself to think upon the good things of God. If there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Philippians 4, verse 8. If you don't, this thing called a brain will drag you all around places. Nobody else will know, but you will. But God knows. And it'll hurt your spirituality. If we say we love God but walk in our sin, we're playing the hypocrite. That's what we're doing. We ask God to forgive us, and then we go right back. We ask God to forgive us knowing we're probably going to commit the same sin again. Do we lie to God or are we lie to ourselves or both? When we ask forgiveness, knowing we're going to repeat the sin. Proverbs 28 verse 13 was my wife's verse for our kids. Whosoever, what? forsaketh his sin, you know, confess his sin. And if, if you don't, if you hide it, you won't, you're not going to get forgiveness. Ouija'd quote that verse to those kids. Flip over there. Let's read it. Proverbs 28, verse 13. 
Proverbs 28 and verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Ouija'd quote that to Shane and to Bethany. On and on and on. How about this one? If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is not a license to sin. God, I know I did that, and I'm planning on doing it again, but right now I want to be forgiven so I can act spiritual, so I can be in church and enjoy church. That's hypocrisy. And we do it sometimes. Maybe I'm the only one. But I think probably I'm not. We struggle. Listen, I, I preach to myself when I preach to you. If we spend all our time focusing on our sin, we're never going to conquer it. You cannot keep your eyes on what's wrong in your life. You've got to get your eyes on what's right. Yes, when you sin, ask forgiveness. The Bible demands, commands, and we want that. But if we focus on that all the time, we're not going to get victory in our life. We need to move forward. There's no license to sin in the Scripture. None. God doesn't permit it. The Bible says he's of purer eyes than to behold iniquity. That doesn't mean God doesn't see it. It means that he, when he sees it, he doesn't approve it. And so we can't. But it's what our flesh wants to do. I don't want us to get legalistic. I don't want us to get in some kind of narrow frame where Everybody's got to do exactly the same thing or the people that are not doing exactly the same thing aren't right with God. We don't, want to, we don't want to be there. How God grows a person, how God matures a person is up to him. I, don't, I, I can't expect out of teenagers what I do expect out of adults. I think we're not expecting enough out of our kids in many ways. I believe that's what's wrong with a lot of public education. They're not demanding very much out of the children. Uh, we got very few open book tests when I was in school. Most of them were just a piece of paper and a pencil test. Sometimes they'd give us a sheet of paper with the problems on them, but sometimes we had to write the problems too. And, but anyway, I'm getting at this, is they demanded something out of us. And we had to toe up the line if we were going to graduate high school. And God expects some things from us. These were the leaders of the nation of Israel. They set the spiritual tone for the nation. By the way, a lot of Jewish people were getting fed up with them by this time. That's why they were looking for the Messiah. But they still set the spiritual tone. And they were hypocrites. And because they were hypocrites, it spread to others. And if you and I aren't careful, not meaning to, we'll play the part of a hypocrite. Because we'll ask for some forgiveness, and then we, we don't forsake. We hide our sin. We minimize our sin. Maximize sin. It's worse than you think. It's worse than I think. It's worse than I can explain. It was bad enough that that one sin in the garden brought Jesus Christ to die on the cross. That's how bad sin is. How many sins do we commit? I 
I remember being shocked reading a Puritan writer one time when he talked about our millions of sins. I just had never thought of it in that kind of a proportion. He's probably right. Our millions of sins. Good news is this. We can run to him. He's faithful and just forgive us. Lord, I didn't mean to be a hypocrite. He'll forgive you. He's not going to wad you up and throw you up against the wall somewhere and leave you. It's not the way he does. He'll forgive. And when we get forgiveness, we get some strength. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May we pray. Father, thank you for the word of God. Kind of a sobering message, but Lord, I needed it and grateful for it. Thank you, Lord, that you forgive. What a gracious God we serve. My sin, not in part but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, O my soul. In Christ's name, amen.